a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. everybody and welcome back to movies for life uh, i am one of your co-hosts michelle Agan, and i'm brian kuyper and today for this episode we are returning back to one of our favorite topics to cover here on the show we're doing some my more. favorite topic my favorite i think too. this is my favorite i think this is actually these seem to be the episodes that i consistently enjoy the most and want to keep Maybe. coming up with more pairings for her, totally. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. talking about more uh, films about filmmaking. And today we don't really have, like, for the other ones, we had kind of a little topic for them. But now these are just kind of like random movies about filmmaking that we just paired together and wanted to talk about. Yeah. And both of these are a little lesser known gems. I would say so. And they're both good. And they're both from the same year, which is not planned. No. But uh, it turned out that way and it ended up being cool little pairing. I think so. I mean, yeah. they're totally different, like completely, but they're still, I think they're both fun. They both have a, like a weird sense of humor about them. And uh-huh. mine doesn't really have much to say about like the filmmaking side, but yours definitely does. And I think that's going to be yeah. a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah. So these are both going to be a lot of fun. So um, totally. let's go ahead and introduce our movies and then we'll go from there. Yeah, we're going to start with mine uh, this week. And my pick is going to be Mute Witness from 1995. And mine also from 1995 is Living in Oblivion. So these uh, Mute Witness is a little bit hard to find. But, you know, I was able to find a DVD of it for pretty inexpensively. So I did too. I bought it, one a few years ago. Yeah, so it's around. It's out there. Uh, so if this episode maybe piques your interest, um, it's not a really hugely spoilery movie. Well, we'll see. Uh, we're gonna spoil the eh, shit out of it. We're gonna, we're gonna we are gonna spoil the shit out of it because there was there was a oh holy crap moment for me in There's this a couple movie of those. that I did not expect. <laughs> then living in oblivion uh, as available on amazon for rent there's a cool shout factory blu-ray of it which i bought yeah. just for this yeah and, and because yeah, it's a great movie it's a great movie and um both of them are terrific movies and worth worth the time and the little bit of cash maybe to to spend on giving them a watch totally worth it though yeah so we're gonna start off with mute witness this time this is a movie like like you were just talking about that it, they were uh, it was a gym that I found um, a few years ago and it's one that I love introducing people to because sometimes when I've even mentioned the name people are like I've never even heard of that mute witness what's that and it, I believe that was my response when you mentioned yeah. <laughs> doing it for the show was I have never heard of this and it is such a cool little movie it's like one of my favorite types of movies like just it really 
quick, simple. It takes place in one night. You know, there's not really too much fat on the movie or there's not really too much to it. It's very plot driven. And it's just a really cool, like one of those 90s thrillers that we don't really get too much of those kind of things anymore. And I miss them. Yeah. And the movie wasn't really what I expected. I don't know what (laughs) I was expecting exactly, but all of a sudden there were like spies and stuff. And I (laughs) I did not expect that. So didn't expect the ending. Well, <laughs> we'll get there. All right. I kind of did. I'll, I'll, Aww, I'll, I'll, no. I'll, I'll, I'll admit. I'll admit. When, when it got it to out. that point, I was like, oh, that's probably, you know. But <laughs> it hey, got, it's all right. It got me the first time. Did it? <laughs> yeah. Did it? Okay. Well, that's good. I love this opening sequence because, you know, as a slasher movie fan, yeah, totally. it's like every cliche, every bad cliche in the book. Yeah. Uh, well, the movie presented. itself kind of starts out like a lot of these movies about movies do mm-hmm. is like giving you a false. It's like a false start because they, mm-hmm. they're showing a scene from a movie that's not really the movie. It's the movie within a movie. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a bad. It starts out good, like a typical slasher thing of a woman like alone in her apartment. And you hear the report on the radio about there's like two escaped convicts from Bellevue. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like she's. Yeah, you know, she's being stalked and her husband like falls dead from behind the door and then but then it turns really funny and you're like wait a minute what's going on here yeah because like the music is really bad and the angles look kind of cheap and weird and everything's kind of off the set yeah. everything is just sort of like and then it just keep, kind of keeps going and going yeah and the actress starts the actress. tearing the set apart <laughs> When, uh, well, actually, when the the killer finally comes in, like he's really creepy looking with the, the yeah. stocking. He's like wearing like it looks like a like he escaped from Bellevue, so like looks like a nurse's outfit almost, or like with a bloody apron or whatever on. But yeah, he stabs her on the bed, and then she just won't die. <laughs> And it's like really right. funny the way she just kind of like stumbles around, like extending her death scene. And it's still playing. I love the way that it kind of reveals like what's going on, like as the opening credits are coming on, because uh-huh. like the, the killers just kind of sit there and watch her and, and laugh at her. And then it the camera pans over to all these other people and you realize yeah. that they're on a film set. And so it's like, yeah. oh, that's, that's a really cool way to do that. It's funny because the director of this film is clearly inept uh, the director of the movie within the movie yeah. is just clearly he should have stopped ha- it a yeah. long time ago <laughs> yeah he's a complete hack then when it switches from that false start to the real deal mm-hmm. you're and kind of goes behind the scenes you you now see that you are in the hands of a skilled filmmaker oh, there's yeah. a pretty stark contrast yeah. between the movie within a movie style and then the real than the actual film. Yeah, so the movie Mute Witness was uh, written, directed, and produced by Anthony Waller, who didn't do a whole lot. Like, a couple of years later, he did American Werewolf in Paris. Um, but the whole production of this movie is interesting. It's it's described as, like, a Russian-British-German uh, co-production yeah. uh, movie. The movie takes place in Moscow. I think it was filmed in Moscow, too. It looks like it, yeah. I think so. And, yeah, so the, the basic setup here is that they're... It's a group of people making a low-budget slasher movie in Moscow. The director, like you said, is Andy, um, his sister. Not his sister, sorry. Right. (laughs) He's um, with Karen and her sister, Billy, who is our main character, um, played by Marina Zudina. She's awesome. I don't know her either. Like, we were talking about the cast. Like, we don't recognize a lot of these people, but they are great in their roles. Yeah, it looks like... 
the biggest movie she did was, in fact, Mute, Mute Witness. Witness. In fact, the only, there was only one recognized person that I recognized at all, and we'll yes. get to that. <laughs> and that's probably why it was sort of a holy shit moment, was because of <laughs> yeah, who you texted me. <laughs> you texted me when you saw yeah, it, who it was. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so some of the stuff that I love about this is it sets up the communication problems so yeah. well because all the, uh, all our, the different communication problems all going the different on. kinds of them yeah because of course you know yeah uh, the main character billy she's the titular mute witness she's the special mm-hmm. effects i guess and she's in charge of the special effects for the movie and she can hear but she can't speak right and she communicates obviously through sign language um that's another kind of uh they don't get a whole lot with the with the characters with their with their interactions but that's just one little thing like her sister is very good at communicating with her andy mm-hmm. kind of the douchebag director in a way doesn't doesn't really make an effort to talk to her no but and then beyond that there's also the Everything has to be done through translators because, yeah. like, the director of photography doesn't speak English, so they have it. So he's commute. The director's communicating with him through, or Andy's communicating with him through a translator, and you know something's getting lost in the middle yeah. there. Billy's trying and- to explain how one of the the effects with the blood bag works to. One of the actors, the actor is Russian, so they have to communicate through like her sister and then through the translator and then to to the actor. Mm -hmm. That's a really nice element of this movie because it sets up that it's many sort of elements of lost in translation, you know, and it's clever and it's a it's a cool it's it's more than a device. It's it's sort of key to everything that's going on throughout the whole movie. Making the the characters, the American characters feel more out of place, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this country when they figure out what they're really dealing with uh, later on. And it just makes it even harder for them, especially for, for Billy, obviously. And there's yeah. one there's one little moment in this scene that I really like when she's working on they're resetting the shot and she's putting the makeup on the actress and there's mm-hmm. that guy that's up in the lights and um, he sa- he says something to her in Russian and um, it gets translated as um, t- telling her to use more white like a real dead body and then he just winks at her. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little uh, indication of what's coming. Uh-huh. Now, when Billy stays late to work on the killer's mask is when we get the setup of... Yes. What all is going to happen here? Um, yeah. So, like I said, this all or, takes or place... we think it's this is just the start <laughs> yeah, of it because right. because it, it really does twist and turn all over the place, and I did not expect it to be that. And it's so quick. Like I said, it's all and it all takes place in this one night. Yeah, it's a ninety-five minute movie, mm-hmm. and, and it just goes, goes, goes from like plot there point to is the next. No break. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody else, uh, they're done for the day with filming. Everybody else leaves. Billy has to go back into the studio to get something that they, to get the killer's mask that they need for the next day of filming. And she gets locked in the studio. Mm-hmm. A couple of things before the big turn happens. The way she, another thing with um, her troubles with communicating, how she tries to get in touch with people. Um, there's a funny scene of uh, her trying to call. Is this when, yeah, when she's trying to call Andy and he's like making dinner. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, that's right. Because that's really the only funny. the only way that she can, you know, obviously talk on a phone is to tap, mm-hmm. tap on the receiver. But obviously, he's he's got loud music playing and he can't hear her. And uh, but she does finally get a hold of 
her sister Karen, she hears some guys downstairs. So she's like, oh, cool. Maybe this means I can get out of here now. And Karen has called her because she was supposed to meet up with them for dinner and didn't make it. So Karen called the studio and yeah, she's able to tap out like all okay. But then when she goes downstairs. Yeah, the director of photography is making a little after hours porno movie. Yeah. That soon turns into what is apparently a snuff film. A real snuff film. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a very intense scene. It starts out like kind of funny. It really is. It starts out kind of funny because Billy's like they don't she's know kinda, they don't know yeah. that that she's there and she's kind of in the back like giggling like cuz Yeah. I'm like oh god, what are they doing? Uh mm-hmm. but then it turns like really dark and Yeah. intense cuz the guy that's there's a it's a blonde lady obviously probably a sex worker uh the guy also is wearing uh, it's another creepy looking like stocking with a mask over top of it so creepy looking i don't know uh, and then all of a sudden in the middle of them doing it you know she he pulls out a pulls out a knife or he's like ties her wrists up above her and starts hitting her and it turns like really ugly and i love billy in this scene or Marina Zudina, her acting in this scene is like spot on because she is just yeah. horrified, and you yeah. can just see it all over her face, and uh, it just it kills me. And yeah, so he starts uh, stabbing her, and that's a really brutal scene. Like even though it doesn't it doesn't like show the the penetration of the knife into her body, it just shows like little flashes of her body just getting more and more covered with blood. Yeah, it sort of uh, uses some kind of suggestive like Hitchcock or techniques yeah. or or even like texas chainsaw where you don't actually see any of it but you sure do think you did mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah. you kind of think it's more uh, i think it's more violent than it really more is, violent yeah. than re- what you mm-hmm. really see i don't like to say this but it's like it's almost kind of a good thing that billy is mute in these kind of moments you know because because she would have screamed she would have screamed sound and yeah alerted and herself yeah you can see on her face she like she tries to obviously she she can't but it's almost like you're really like almost like oh my god thank thank goodness you know that they didn't hear her or see her she tries to get away one little important thing that happens she knocks over a coat rack that um had the woman's coat and purse on it and we see something like slide out and slide underneath like a, a chest or something there mm-hmm. that's a important plot point going on um and then for like for the next half hour it's kind of like a chase scene through the studio it's a chase scene through the studio and i think Which that I studio love. that studio is so creepy it um, is and maybe it's because I had just watched Session 9, <laughs> but it totally reminds me of Danvers kind Hospital. Of. Yeah. You know, it just has that sort of those big hallways. I mean, obviously it's not dilapidated like that, but there's mm-hmm. something about it that is just creepy. It has a sort of claustrophobic feeling of it, even though the spaces are large, mm-hmm. uh, which is an odd thing to be able to capture. But I think the film really does that do that well so they haven't seen her yet but the two of the two guys kind of get a sense that someone is there and mm-hmm. i love how the the chase kind of goes billy is she's very quick and i like i, I don't know it, it seems kind of implausible like every single time like they're just about to you know catch her she just happens to slip through it's kind of like one of those movie things that happens yeah, like like it is her, a movie her, like her thing, timing but... is a little bit too perfect on every single time but i loved it still it works you know it's 
again, sort of the Hitchcock style chase scene where everything mm-hmm. is sort of by, or even like a James Bond <laughs> chase scene almost, <laughs> where everything is just sort of right by the skin of their teeth, you know, right, yeah. that they make it through. That elevator sequence is yeah. great. Yeah, so she eventually ends up in uh, the elevator shaft. That's where the guys are start throwing uh, garbage bags underneath mm. into this like typical like pit underneath full of garbage bags, um, which we kind of figure out what's probably in those bags. Yes. Again, it's another just like kind of grossing. You see uh, a face in one of the bags and it's just mm. it's dirty and nasty down there. And the guys are obviously up to uh, no good. Yeah, it's just I know I just love this whole chase sequence. It's very intense. It's never it's never boring. Mm-mm. Like they just change locations all the time, and it's it keeps it interesting. And the yeah. thirty minutes like fly by. I was like when I was watching this again, I was like the movie is almost over. <laughs> well, what was funny was because as I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, so this is going to be sort of like a single location chase movie in this mm-hmm. building, and she's just going to be kind of a cat and mouse thing. And then nope, that's not ends up what happens at all i mean mm-hmm. it's sort of this long sequence but after that after andy and karen show up and the police oh there's another cool part that i like when she when billy runs back up into the set mm-hmm. and the main the main guy the guy that was filming the the snuff film is uh Leosh. right he's up there in the control room and like she's on the movie set and the he starts to turn on the lights like that in every room that she goes into like onto the set all of a sudden he turns the light on yeah i see i thought that was just a cool little moment yeah that is cool and when he finally does see her and he's like chasing her down the hallway there's the little vertigo effect thing yeah i loved yes. that was really cool looking yeah and you know i guess i wasn't i wasn't watching this going oh that's a real hitchcock element you know so that didn't there's literally a hitchcock element that, but there's <laughs> and you know i see a vertigo effect and i know what that is but it's funny i wasn't sitting there you know scrutinizing every moment i was just on for the ride you know yeah. so it sounds like oh yeah watch this is just like a hitchcock thing and no you don't really feel that while you're watching it uh you just get the sense that it's an engaging and fun to watch so mm-hmm. but it's got that kind of it's not incompetently made at all no it's, it's very very very, very cool made, yeah. yes yeah so the the chase finally ends when um she gets through the door to go outside and he pushes her and she falls onto some film canisters down yeah. below and that's when karen and andy show up and this is a important thing that comes back that i really like that this movie does just adds a really cool element it's like the bad guy leosh is like holding her down is like oh she could be hurt you know you want you you leave and go get help and i'll stay here with her obviously you know he's wanting to kill her right and he's holding her down but karen i like when karen turns back real quick and sees the look on billy's face asking for help and that's a, that's a big thing that comes back over and over again throughout the movie is the look on someone's face when they are when they are in real terror and pain yes but yeah she gets away the police come obviously the guys talk them out of it the police are mm-hmm. I don't, these police are are these police in on it or are they the different ones that show up later Ooh, that's a good i don't question. remember i can't remember if i'm not i'm not positive i'm not positive but I don't think it is. I, I don't think, think it's the same ones. Yeah, I but think that's a different one. Yeah, the bad guys have somehow managed to to get rid of all the evidence, and they've they've convinced them that they were there. That it wasn't actually a snuff film that they were making, and that they were making their own yeah. kind of movie. Or they say they were like testing out the effects for right. Billy to to make and the effects so, work better. And so he uses the the knife and he stabs the director. Yes, and, that's a really and, cool moment. <laughs> that's and and you know you actually think oh he's actually going for it. and then. 
it's it's the fake knife mm-hmm. uh, that was used in the earlier scene. So it's a retractable knife with the blood bag and the spraying and everything. But that's kind of crazy that he did that because dude could have gotten himself shot. Yeah, seriously. Because the cop <laughs> has the gun on him while he's stabbing this guy, quote unquote, yeah. trying to prove his point. <laughs> But the cops are kind of on the guy's side, you know, the whole time. It seems like they're, you know, they're speaking Russian. We don't really know what they're saying, but they're kind of laughing along with the guys like, oh, look, this crazy woman thinks she's seen some kind of murder happen when it wasn't that at all. Right. But one thing that Billy can't get out of her mind, the look on the woman's face Mm -hmm. when she saw her being killed. Like that's even because they've even convinced Billy that maybe she didn't really see what she saw at this point. Like she's kind of doubting herself. Maybe it wasn't really a real murder, but that's that's one thing that stays on her mind. And when Andy and Karen and Billy all go out to eat afterwards, oh, he's Andy's being kind of a jerk. He's like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) Like that, she called the cops about this. It's like, really? Yeah, <laughs> he's kind of a jerk. I don't <laughs> he's like it. Just kind of, kind of stuff in his face at the dinner yeah. and everything. He's sort of repulsive. <laughs> This is where you get more about how Andy doesn't really make an effort to learn sign language so that he can no. talk to Billy yeah. um, or even understand what she's saying. You know, there's a little moment uh, back at the studio here uh, with the janitor and his dog, Buka, <laughs> uh-huh. the janitor who had locked her inside before he's back at the studio and he's like down in the basement area where like underneath where the elevator shaft, the bottom uh-huh. of the elevator shaft was and he sees a skull in the, uh, the furnace down there and Sadly, he and the dog are both killed in this scene. So my next note is literally in giant capital letters. And I imagine there was probably other things that happened before this, but it is, holy fuck, Alec Guinness. That's literally (laughs) my next note because we kind of have this shady character pull up in the back of a car. He's Mm -hmm. in the shadows and the bad guys are talking to him and he leans forward and I don't even remember what they were saying because I was just so distracted by the fact that Alec Guinness, (laughs) one of the all-time great British actors, one of the all-time great actors, period, was appearing in this little movie. (laughs) Um, I wasn't even completely aware he was still alive in 1995, if I'm being honest. So it was just kind of a shock to me. But hey, he's kind of the only recognizable face in the movie, at least to Western audiences. And he did probably a half day's work on the thing and got paid handsomely for it. He's like Um, sitting in the car the whole time. (laughs) He's in the movie. in the car and most of the time he's in the shadows. (laughs) Yeah. He leans forward a couple of times. He just keeps um, talking in this scene about how about everything going smoothly. He wants everything yeah. to go smoothly. It's a very, um, you know, puppet master, you know, mm. who's behind all of this kind of thing. The fact that they got him to play it just kind of adds the gravitas to the character. Because you, if you are familiar with movies of a certain era, it's going to mean something. Uh, to have an actor of his caliber in a role like that. It's almost like Jack Nicholson in Broadcast News, you know, where it's just a few minutes of screen time, but you kind of instantly understand the gravitas and and power of the character because of who's playing it. Yeah, the character is actually called the Reaper. The Reaper. He's, and as we learn more in this scene, he's obviously the one in charge that's 
hired these guys to make the snuff film because because uh-huh. he says if there's if there's witnesses then there's no money for the movie that you just made so that means that they got to get rid of billy so at the same time this is going on with uh, billy and andy and karen and the bad guys uh, andy had said something before about how he knew somebody at the american embassy mm-hmm. so there's like a guy from the embassy and the cops that are getting together, they already kind of know that this is going on, that there's a gang in the area that's involved in pornography and prostitution and human trafficking and trafficking and, and making yeah. snuff films. So they're already kind of on this guy. They know about the Reaper really kind of um, later on. There's the, the main cop Larson is, Larson is for his name. Um, yeah. He has a really like a intense, like a memory that he recalls about a, another snuff film that he had seen you remember that part right. <laughs> yeah i i don't remember <laughs> yeah well, that's cause weird they um because the cops they take the the film that the guys have been filming yes. that night and yeah. they're gonna go look at it to you know see if it was actually real or not and this is later there's other stuff that happens before this but god that when he's talking about like i saw a, a movie once about it was a woman tied to a tree and right. she had her arms and her legs cut off mm-hmm. and i was like jesus yeah. <laughs> like it's still isn't it still kind of like people don't really know for sure if those are actually if snow films are actually real right uh it's assumed that it's kind of widely believed that they're not yeah. um but to be honest with all of the horrible things that happen in the world yeah. i would be shocked if they didn't exist in some deep underground horrible world somewhere well there's like shit on the dark web that you can buy yeah yeah and we're not talking about you know like mondo kane or faces of death or something like that i mean those those are mostly not real (laughs) okay yeah when you're talking a snuff film you're talking something that would never come to light it would be things that would be sold to very wealthy weirdos um Mm -hmm. i imagine something like Eight millimeter. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That movie, I've only seen it once and I find it extraordinarily uncomfortable even to think about it still. It was sort of a one and done for me. This one's a little bit easier to take in. Yeah. This this one has a lot. This one, this one cuts it all with lots of humor. Yeah, it does. (laughs) uh, And it's mostly kind of a spy thriller. You know, we're after the microfilm kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's a diskette. <laughs> but now nowadays people are like what's a diskette <laughs> yeah the diskette that's right yeah so even it's, though it's, it's super funny. dark like what she witnesses and what they're doing yeah they do make it very easily digestible by yeah. putting some well, humor into it and with yeah, the characters well, it gives with the, the, the main characters and with the little side characters that come up later the fact that it's a snuff film gives it real stakes though, yes you know so there is real danger involved in the movie and you know obviously death is something that happens in movies all the time it's a threat you know that gives it gives something you know stakes in the matter so i think the fact that it's it's death related to film uh is sort of this cool meta layer that's going on oh, too I didn't you know think with of the that. whole with the whole spy thing of it all mm. you know it's because it's a spy movie about filmmaking <laughs> with a snuff film and i mean it's i don't know it has it has almost a again a little small scale north by northwest quality to it you know where they're all after the diskette and, yeah you know <laughs> with this secret in it so and you don't know like 
who's who's with the bad guys, who's actually uh-uh. a good guy. Even up to the end, I don't think. Well, you said you figured it out, but I didn't figure out that maybe someone you thought was good might actually be bad. Who can you really trust? I mean, they're in a foreign country. They don't really yeah. know these people. They don't know, like, the cops are obviously, as we find out later, some of the cops are on the take or in on it. Sure. And there's just that sense of being an outsider yeah. on multiple levels in here, too. That is really interesting and engaging. So when they watch this film, though, what they get is just the dailies of the crappy slasher film they've yes. been making. <laughs> uh, and so and 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 uh, you kind of get to watch that little piece of that over again and just kind of go oh man <laughs> this, the, the ineptitude of that is is funny to watch again and then it's funny when um the ambassador calls andy and and tells him that there's nothing to worry about and that <laughs> andy says like that the ambassador says that the film is the biggest piece of shit he's ever seen yeah. and <laughs> when andy doesn't know that he's really talking about the movie that he's making <laughs> right right that's funny he doesn't know that he's ed wood on the line yeah, you know, exactly. the next one the next, <laughs> the next one will be better, better. <laughs> <laughs> uh so before all this um andy and karen have uh dropped billy off in her apartment and this is where we get um she's taking a bath and you see you get a little bit more about i like the um the machine that she yeah. uses to talk on the phone because it's connected through her computer and it's does a synthesized voice of what she's typing mm-hmm. uh, sounds a little bit like i know like stephen the stephen hawking voice yes it sounds a little bit like that just just for reference and there's like specific phrases that are programmed in that that she can mm-hmm. say so that she can call for help there's also um, do it quickly, a fun yeah. <laughs> very fun uh, little moment that actually does come back later of uh, a guy in the building across the way watching yes. or watching her um through binoculars it seems like it's just a creepy thing at first but it comes back in a really funny moment <laughs> later on and um the scene where she's in the bathtub i kind of like this because she's like i said before like she was she's almost she's like halfway convinced herself that maybe she was wrong about what she saw but one thing that she cannot get out of her mind is that look on the woman's face and she keeps having like she's having like flashes back to the the murder that she saw and i like the way this was filmed too because it's I don't know. She's in the bathtub and the the flashes are kind of mixed in with shots of like the water dripping and mm-hmm. like the condensation moving on the window. Just a really cool way to do it. And then you see there's like a one little flash, like weird, like kind of a horror movie looking version of the woman like just flash it's a hallucination that billy's having right like she flashes mm-hmm. up in the window and then um she wakes up oh it's just a very cool way to do it i liked that scene a lot it's fun yeah it's i think that the film does a good job of just building suspense and keeping the doubts kind of on your mind mm-hmm. as as the film goes on because it will kind of set up something and then knock it down but that kernel of what if something got switched around what if something is always there i mean there's always yeah. a level of tension even when it's cut by the humor or one of those dominoes falls you know one thing that. i would have said when talk when they first were talking to the police was like okay if that wasn't a real film where's the woman produce her right now alive like nobody ever says that right <laughs> that could have ended it right now like where is she bring her back here mm-hmm. just true. saying just saying <laughs> it's very true but then you don't have a movie <laughs> then you don't have a movie but i'm just saying no yeah. one thought of that really right 
So there are a couple of things that happen. There's this, the setup of the downstairs neighbors, too. Yes. <laughs> being kind of annoyed, which is, I didn't think about it until just now. That's a lot like Diabolique. Yeah. Where you have the downstairs neighbors who are just hearing all this noise going on upstairs of this horrible thing that's <laughs> happening. And it's just sort of this punctuations of humor yeah. amidst this kind of really intense frightening scene because uh, you've got the guy with the drill you know drilling through the door while she's on the phone with the police dispatcher through her computer mm-hmm. um, and that's a great scene that's yeah. one of the coolest suspense sequences that I've seen in a while really I was really into that I thought that was probably my favorite sequence of the movie yeah it starts out with karen calling her uh-huh. and talking to her through the machine and then um, the doorbell rings mm-hmm. and it's like what one o'clock in the morning by now or something and I, I, it's a good little moment when billy goes to answer the door and you can hear karen be like no that doesn't sound right don't answer the door but obviously you know she can't hear her. and it's the I didn't catch. I didn't catch his name. The other one, the actual killer in the snuff film, Leosh was. I can't remember. Leosh was the guy that was filming it. I'll we'll just call him the killer. How about that? Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to, <laughs> to, to put it. Um, it's the killer with some bolt cutters, and then yeah, he starts actually drilling through the lock on the door as mm-hmm. she's trying to uh, call the police. But obviously, again, there's the communication issues. Yeah. She's able to, like, type out, like, you know, I need help, police, you know, through the machine. But obviously, the person that's Mm -hmm. answering it speaks Russian, doesn't understand a lot of English. So it's just so frustrating. Like, poor Billy. She's such, she's just so sweet and so nice. Everybody kind of loves her around Mm -hmm. the set. You can kind of see that. Yeah. And she's a she's, very she's a very smart, sweet, capable woman, and yeah. she's obviously awesome. If she's a special effects person, yeah. And she seems to be, even though she's working on sort of this low budget movie, she really knows her stuff. She's yeah. not. This isn't just like this is my first time uh, yeah. doing any of this. This is clearly something she's done often, and it's almost like I'm doing this as a favor to my sister's boyfriend. Probably, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because she seems better than the movie. Kind of. Yeah. I like at the um, beginning she got her box of equipment. Uh-huh. And it says like Billy's box, like keep out or something on top of it. I yeah. like that. She's got the big, you know, like gas can full of blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is this is very cool that. And that comes up a couple of times, too, because, you know, we see like it has been drained. Mm-hmm. So there's that inkling of possibility that the blood in the snuff film was her her, uh, her fake, fake blood. blood. Yeah, because yeah, they mentioned before, like an actress had wanted to like put sugar in it so that it was a little bit yes. sweeter to go in her mouth. And like the cops even yeah. tested out some of the blood that was around. They're like, oh, it's sweet. So it's not mm-hmm. real blood. But they could have, as Karen even says in that scene, they could have doused it the real blood with the fake blood so that you can tell the difference. Yep. They're I mean. better detectives than the police. Imagine that. Yeah. Well, it's also important that she calls her sister first because they they head over mm-hmm. towards her place um, after hearing some distress, right? Or, or well, I can't remember exactly why they come over. They, well, Karen, I know they Karen's head over heard before... the doorbell ring, so she knows that somebody yeah. is there. I think she's just worried about her sister. Yeah, she knows. Yeah, she, they she just knows that over. she knows that something has been off. I think this whole night, she doesn't really believe anything. Just like Billy, I think. Yeah, she doesn't feel comfortable entirely leaving leaving uh, Billy alone. No. So then, while the killer is 
trying to get in this is where um the little part with the peeping tom comes back i thought this was so funny she's like she can't get she can't get the police oh, to come and right. help her <laughs> she and so her robe she's open. like yeah she's like running around like trying to figure out what she's gonna do she th- remembers the peeping tom guy so she like opens the window just trying she sees him and she's trying to get his attention and then she's like freaking opens her robe <laughs> and flashes him <laughs> that doesn't work <laughs> right uh the guy gets in and yeah it's a really cool um standoff with him and her i love this scene especially that one shot at the beginning of this when she like she's got a knife and she throws it at him and it lands like in between the piano keys Mm -hmm. on the piano i thought that was really cool yeah and then they get into the kitchen and she's just like chucking knives and shit at him all the time like she does not back down from this guy she's throwing everything that she's got at him and he comes like flying through that glass panel door and it's kind of a shitty apartment we see Mm -hmm. when she gets into the bathroom yes (laughs) she locks herself in the bathroom and he just is able to just like freaking punch through the door really easily oh oh and another cool little thing here is when she takes the um the little toilet cleaner and it's got like donald duck on it (laughs) starts hitting at him through the door i see this movie a lot i love all the little details in this yeah i've only seen it once so i'm (laughs) I'm, uh you're you're telling me things that i missed the first time but it's one that i'm gonna watch again you should there's Um, a lot of little things that you'll notice Mm -hmm. as you watch it more and more it's because i mean it is very straightforward plot wise it's just it goes plot point plot point plot point but there's a lot of really fun stuff in it that i always like to notice i know something different every time um and then she tricks him, getting him to come flying through the bathroom door, and he lands in the bathtub. Yes, and it's a James Bond moment of <laughs> uh, you know throwing the uh, what does she throw? This it's is a her hair dryer. Hair dryer. Yeah. yeah, she throws her hair dryer into the bathtub and electrocutes him. Shocking, positively shocking. shocking. So she doesn't say that. That's the James, <laughs> that's the James Bond line. Is it? Well. Yeah, I don't know James Bond. Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. I watched them quite a lot as a kid. So ah, gotcha. Which one is that from? Goldfinger. Goldfinger. My favorite. Is that with Sean Connery? But of course. Okay. <laughs> yes. I don't, I know my bonds, but I don't know which ones they were in. Yeah. So I know that now. Yep. Uh, okay. Leo, Leo shows up again asking for the diskette. Yes. And there's one, there's one little shot that like really irks me is like when he's, he's attacking her and she's trying to write out like what diskette, like what are you talking about? There's like a quick shot of him like pulling her her robe up you can see her bottom just like uh just a little more threatening and then um and then uh the policeman larson as the deus ex machina shows up right on time (laughs) he sure does he sure does it is very much that kind of a thing but it's it's a little bit like loomis showing up and killing the shape yeah uh, or shooting the shape i should say and yeah he so he takes her away and Another kind of a funny little moment when she's changing her clothes in the car between the yeah. two of them, which kind of makes you think that maybe he's a good guy in a way because he's yeah, he's kind of averting his eyes. Yeah, and <laughs> he's trying to he's trying to be a gentleman, <laughs> yeah, as best he can in the situation. But you can't be sure with these guys because no. we don't know these guys, no, even though even though from like the previous scene it seems like he he was because he was the one that had had seen the other like snuff film and he, he had that that moment he has another he says something in that uh, little monologue that he has too about the look on the person's face is something that you never mm-hmm. forget but still can't really be sure because uh the other cops show up uh to the scene later on and they're they're in on it and then it gets they kind are, of funny yeah. again when andy um 
Andy and Karen show back up at uh, Billy's apartment. Yes. <laughs> they are like, I don't know how to describe them. They're kind of, they're almost kind of like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the movie. Here. Yeah, that's a, that's a good description. <laughs> they are comic relief. I don't know if that's exactly the right word, but they, they do kinda... supply a lot of the comedy, you know, like that whole thing. <laughs> Get the chair. What chair? The chair! <laughs> well, no, like when they first get there, um, they go, they're at Billy's apartment. They see what a mess Billy's apartment is. Uh, there's, They see the, um, who, who is that? I forgot if it was Andy or Karen now, but they say there's someone dead in the bed. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's how the line is delivered because there's another guy coming up behind him to attack. It's yeah. just like it's funny. And uh Leosh, it's oh it's Leosh. Yeah, Leosh comes in yeah. to attack and they they go off in another room, the police show up and Leosh is just like sitting there. So that's when you kind of figure out that uh, obviously yes. the police are in on it because he's just like, yeah, they're in there. But then cops kind of turn it around on him and they shoot and him in the head. they shoot him, yeah. Yeah. So this goes higher it than meets the does. eye is what, uh, is what I said there. So is this where they're kind of being pursued over to, oh gosh, we kind of go back to Larson and Billy. Yeah, he um, basically just tells her what's going on, that the the woman that was murdered in the snuff film, her boyfriend had stolen um, this diskette from the Reaper, which had like all of, basically had all their information on it. All the information yeah. of like who the people were like involved in making this. He also tells her that in this scene, I think that the Reaper actually thinks that he's working, that Larson himself is working for he's him. working for him, yes. And that is that another element of doubt here so yeah. when we when we get to these last few minutes here because yeah by this time like you the movie just goes so fast mm-hmm. i don't know I, I like that about it but then it's also kind of like i wish we had a little bit more sometimes with the characters but it, it is kind of fun just to watch a movie that's just about let's just watch this play out and see what happens and like not anything yeah. deeper really to think about you know it's just yeah. fun ride the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there are themes and things you oh, can sure. you can dig for, and we found a few of them, I think. But all in all, it's mostly just this is going to be a good time. Yeah, lean and mean, and just kind of enjoy that. That's what I like about it the most is that it's just mm-hmm. it's fun, easy watch when you want to just like have a good time. Even yeah. though it's kind of dark, like I said, the comedy yeah. comes back. <laughs> I know we t- we're talking about snuff films and stuff here, but <laughs> but it's a fun ride along they the way. They keep it fun. Um, yeah. Again, with Andy and Karen, too, is when the cops are holding them asking for the diskette. Karen does the thing where she, like, pulls the rug out from underneath one of the cops. Yes. That's because he's got, like, he's cuffed Andy and, like, got a gun to the back of his head. So she pulls a rug out from underneath him. The cop accidentally shoots, shoots the other cop. In. No, he shoots the other cop underneath the chin. Shoots the other cop. Yeah, that's what I... That's right. And then the neighbor shows up. (laughs) Right. The downstairs neighbor. He's just been like an older guy that's like trying to get to bed. And Mm -hmm. there's obviously something terrible going on, but he's just like frustrated that there's so much noise. He keeps like banging on the ceiling with a broom or something. And then when he gets up there, he just sees Andy and Karen. Karen's got the gun in her hand. And I like Andy's line here. It's like, you look like a hitman. Put the gun down. (laughs) Because they're trying to convince him like, no, 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 we're not going to hurt you. We're not bad. Sorry. 
And then the guy, uh, the neighbor runs away and he's wearing like a, he's got Superman logo on the back of his robe. That's right. Yes. I loved that. Loved that. I thought you would like that. Yeah. Naturally. So then um, Billy has figured out that she does know where the diskette is because she remembered it falling out of the woman's purse. Like we said before, and so it's still in the studio. So Larson and Billy head back to the studio. The bad guys also show up at the studio, and then Andy and Karen also head back to the studio. So we're back at the beginning, and it's mm-hmm. kind of the last little thing going on here. Andy and Karen are obviously just like being funny again as they <laughs> try to make their way inside. They like trip that one guy down the stairs <laughs> to get inside through one of the side doors. And let's see, they find the diskettes and what? It looks like Larson's a bad guy. What? Yeah. And then another guy shows up and grabs Billy and was like, oh, thank you. This is, this is what I needed. But then he quickly <laughs> switches again. It's like it's like one twist after another that like you're surprised and then it, it changes. But you're still not really sure. Mm-hmm. He punches the guy in the face or something, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. He knocks out the guy that's holding Billy. And Andy, let's see, Andy and Karen are... Oh, they see, yeah, they see Larson and Billy. They think, because Larson is leading her out to where all the bad guys have got their cars lined up and they've got like guns, yes. obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're waiting to, to kill her. They think that, that he's bad and they start shooting at him. But oh, the other thing with Andy, he can't make the safety work on the gun. And then, so this is the part you had figured out, you're saying. Well, here's the thing. When Larson shoots Billy, I, it was like, oh, wow. Okay, but then I was like, but I think this might be a special effect. But then (laughs) they kind of protract that for a while, you know, and I started to wonder a little bit. It's like, man, that's a downer way to end the movie if they Mm -hmm. really did kill her. But then she does, in fact, kind of open her eyes and you see that it was. I think they kind of I think they kind of get a little hint before that too if you're if you're in the know because when he goes when he goes back inside and like i love how karen just like freaking launches at him and starts like beating the shit out of larson for just killing billy then andy's got the gun i think you can kind of tell when you hear the gun go off it does not sound like a real gunshot no if you but Um, that's only if you like have an ear for that i think that's a little bit of a clue because she hasn't she hasn't opened her eye yet at this point. Right. I didn't catch it the first time. I thought she was I dead. did not I was catch like, that at all. Yeah. It sounds like a blank being shot, which is what it is. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like a real gunshot. I thought that was a fun little reveal. And Karen's like, you're a genius. Like, yes, she is. Because <laughs> she's got all the squibs attached to her body. Because the Reaper had told Larson to kill her. And so they they faked it. And the bad guys just left. Whatever. Yep. Like, okay. Okay. We're done. Well, I guess we're done here. But then, you know, you have sort of another ending because mm-hmm. you have the, you have the, oh, everything's all right. And you get in the, Larson gets in the car with I the bad guys this. in the back. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute, there's mm-hmm. more. Yep. The thing comes back when Billy notices the look because the Larson has got the two bad guys that he had like knocked out in the studio yeah. in the back of his car. Billy notices the look on one of their faces she's seen that look of that someone can have on their face like before they're going to die and yep. they managed to uh, make larson aware that something's wrong and he jumps out just in time and the car jumps explodes. out just in time and the end it literally ends right after he gets <laughs> jumps out of the car i was like 
Wow, no. Yep. That's it. <laughs> okay. Well, the, well, the car explodes. He jumps out and they realize that he's okay. And then, yeah, the movie's over. That it's over. <laughs> it's just kind of like there's there's no, no denouement. It's just like climax done. <laughs> but that's why I love this movie. Yeah. Because um, what it's more do you need? Kind of, kind of like an old-fashioned movie in a lot of ways because that's something that I notice people who watch old movies who are only who are not really used to them will always say wow movies made like before 1975 just kind of end don't they yeah they just they do. all of a sudden they're just done <laughs> they're done <laughs> isn't that a great thing sometimes because yeah you don't need much more than that especially with this movie it's like one final line done you know one perfect final line done you know mm-hmm. nobody's perfect done you know <laughs> yep. I, or whatever I, it's it's true though it's funny because like like bride of frankenstein you know the you, you see the thing explode the building explode it's over uh. there's no <laughs> No, nothing beyond that. We're done. Um, and this is kind of like that. You kind of wish there was something more with like maybe yeah. killing the Reaper or something. But you kind of get the, the hint that, you know, Larson's got all the evidence for him now that he's probably going to get taken care of. Maybe he seems really powerful and the police are in on it. I don't know. But for Billy's story and for Andy and Karen's story, like this is the end for them. And it's nice. <laughs> yeah. And. It's a it's a cool movie, and I know probably a lot of people haven't seen this, and it's one that's worth giving a look to. Yeah, like I said, there's not really much to it. There's not like obviously we didn't go super in depth like we usually do on movies, but it's still it's still a gem of its time. I don't know that if there's a great to be. deal of in depth to go. No, sometimes you just want a fun movie like this. Yeah, for and sure. And it's definitely a gem. It's really well made. I love the actors. I love the the tone of it. Makes it even though you're dealing with such serious subject matter, it makes it fun and easy to easier to handle and watch yeah but it's still like you said it's still like keeps the stakes high for the characters that they actually are in real danger and yeah it sort of follows the rules of a hitchcock movie without like aping the style of a hitchcock movie you know what i mean it's not trying to be visually a hitchcock style movie you know it's not choosing you know a lot of high angles and you know the, the sorts of the, it's not shooting it the way that Hitchcock would shoot it, but the rhythms of the cutting, sort of the scenarios, have a lot of that style to it. Mm-hmm. Have a lot of have a lot of that um, sensibility, I guess is not is is the word. So yeah, cool movie, cool movie. Glad I was able to see this one. It's very plot driven. You don't get a lot with the characters, mm-hmm. but I think you get enough to like at least. Definitely Billy. Billy is awesome. I love her. Yeah, I don't feel shortchanged on any of the characters yeah. necessarily either. You kind of know what you need to know for the plot. <laughs> Pretty much, and it's and it's enough. I'm glad you watched it and liked it. I always, like I said, this is like one of my favorite movies to introduce people to that they probably haven't heard of it and you know definitely haven't seen it and whenever they do i think you've definitely found a gem here yeah it's a very cool gem okay so moving on next we have also from 1995 uh, directed by tom DeSillo. i believe that's how you say his name living in oblivion and this kind of has a whole list of kind of stars some of them before they were really big stars yeah uh, i mean obviously steve buscemi is i mean he was mr pink before this movie came out uh, in reservoir dogs he was he had been around he was recognizable before this Catherine keener i'm not sure if she had done much before this um i but love her in this though she's 
She's great. Dermot Mulroney is very funny. As, as <laughs> He's Wolf. awesome. So those are sort of the big, well, and Peter Dinklage. Uh, those mm-hmm. are sort of the big names. Though there are several others here. Um, Danielle Von Zernick as Wanda. Rika Martins as Cora, who is an interesting character. She pops up in a couple of different capacities yep. <laughs> uh, throughout the movie. Matthew Grace as the boom operator. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> which is great. So there's... There's just, this is, okay, so Living in Oblivion is, as far as movies go, movies about making movies. I think this one gets into the nitty gritty of actually shooting a film more Mm -hmm. than any movie that we've talked about for sure. I think so, yeah. Maybe more than any other movie I've ever seen to actually show you the process because you know something like eight and a half is sort of like a surreal version of it you don't really see the shooting of the movie so often when there's um a scene where they're shooting a movie it's not the way you would shoot a movie Mm. it's like this big grand scene where they show everything going on it's like no you would do little pieces of this at a time you know it's not filming the whole big rooftop chase you know, it's little bits of it at a time and putting it all together. And this really kind of shows how they're just trying to get one damn shot yeah. in the first 20 <laughs> minutes of this movie. And, That's uh, when I fell in love with it. <laughs> yeah. A few years ago, I remember asking like in some Facebook group that I was a part of, like, what are your favorite movies about movies? Because it's always something that I've loved. And like so many people said living in oblivion. And I had never mm-hmm. even heard of it back then. And when I finally saw it, it was one of my favorites of this kind that I've ever seen. Because Just for that reason, like you said, like getting into like, oh, they're just trying to get this one shot done and everything goes wrong. And then like other the other stuff that comes up later, there's a crappy like narcissistic actor. Uh-huh. <laughs> and just the uh, another one of those, um, the agony and the ecstasy of making a movie. Movie it really is, is absolutely in this too. A yeah. more, more of the agony probably, but li- those little moments of the ecstasy are really nice. So much of it is about one little thing goes wrong and it affects everything. Everybody. Else. Yeah. Everything, everybody. But it's done with such humor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That it's just, it's, it, but it's sort of a, a type of humor that's a little bit painful to watch. <laughs> you know, it's almost, it's almost uncomfortable laughter at times because weirdly enough, even though most of us probably haven't had this experience, we can relate to, I, I find myself relating to it anyway. Kind of. Yeah. You know, in a, in a weird way, I've never shot a movie, but somehow you could, the way I mean, the way all of the actors just portray what is really going on in them. Like, Steve Buscemi has such an expressive face. His Mm -hmm. eyes, especially, are so expressive that uh, you just know everything he's thinking (laughs) and feeling in any given moment. For me, this was, this is kind of weird because I remember seeing these commercials like on, I can't remember if it was... IFC, the independent film channel or the Sundance channel back in the day. And they would show a shot. They would like do these little montages from indie films as, as in their commercials. You know, uh, this is back when 
it was part of basic cable and you could get like the whole movie without any commercial breaks in it or anything yeah. too. So, I mean, it was kind of back when TV like Sundance and IFC and AMC American movie classics were actually kind of good, <laughs> you know, yeah. before they, before they started showing movies from, you know, the mid nineties and <laughs> you know, AMC, you know, showing the Terminator, which, you know, I love the Terminator, but Showing the Terminator with commercial breaks and, you know, everything was not the AMC I grew up with. Um, It was much more like uh, Turner Classic Movies is now uh, at the time. But they would have this shot of Steve Buscemi, who I recognized from lots of things by that point. Uh, Because, I mean, Con Air even. (laughs) And and Fargo and (laughs) whole bunches of other movies. But they show him, you know, where he's playing this director and this this shot of him saying cut. And I was like, what is that movie? I don't know what that movie is. Fast forward to, I don't know, probably almost 20 years later. And I'm listening to the Pure Cinema podcast. And they're talking about their favorite movies about movies. And Brian Sauer mentions Living in Oblivion. Mm -hmm with Steve Buscemi playing a director. I was like, that's gotta be it. That's gotta be that movie. And so I don't know why that stuck in my head for so long, but so because of that is when I finally saw this just last year, honestly, for the first time, this is a very clean three act structure. Yeah. I mean, it's, each very obviously section. three acts. Yeah. 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 So the first sequence was actually a short film that they made as a group and uh, had a good time making. And the actors kind of urged DeSillo to see if he could expand it into a feature. So the first part of it, I mean, it's great because I love how they're doing this because it's in black and white. Except for what is seen by the camera. Yeah. What is seen by the cameras in color. I love that. During this sequence. All of these, and this is a small, small independent film that they're making, okay? Mm-hmm. So the crew is relatively small. The craft services, starting out with the craft services, you know, they yeah. put like Oreos on paper plates <laughs> and <laughs> just like, The bad milk that comes in later. The milk. Is, is, this milk, <laughs> is this milk bad? I don't know. When would you buy it? Tuesday? What's today? Monday. <laughs> it's just... It's very funny. And then you have Dermot O'Roney coming in as Wolf, the cinematographer. He's got a beret, a black beret, like <laughs> a sleeveless shirt. He's got the, the leather band around his bicep yeah. for you some the reason. the fingerless gloves. <laughs> the fingerless gloves. It's so, it. it's so, so very funny. And, and then, you know, is this where we see uh, Catherine Keener as Nicole in the cab, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you were great in that Richard Gere movie. Uh, so they keep on commenting about her being in this Richard Gere movie where she had a shower scene. Yes. And you know, some of the crew members are kind of gross. So it's like, do we, are we shooting nudity today? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, they're like, no, it's just Ellen talks to mom. <laughs> and then, um, then Cora gets in the car and this is the person that's playing her mom and she calls her mom when she gets yeah. in the car. I think that's I think that's kind of cute. And that actually becomes really important for the third act, too. Mm-hmm. So Nick uh, is Steve Buscemi. Is, and I know a lot of people say Buscemi, and I respect I said, that. I always said Buscemi. I don't know which yeah, one's right. But here's the thing. Okay, on an episode of The Simpsons, <laughs> uh, Steve Buscemi plays himself, and he introduces himself as... I'm Steve Buscemi. Okay. So that is what I go with. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I'll go with that too. Yeah. Okay. I always said Buscemi anyway, so I I was right. Okay. So 
just the characters is what this movie is so much about. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and how they're going to react to each other. And you, like you have Les, the boom operator, and he's wearing that alarm clock around his neck, like an <laughs> actual alarm clock. You know, he's got like uh, a midriff type shirt on. Almost. Yeah. It's just like so gross. <laughs> it's like the, just like looks like the typical dude you see on background on a film set, like jean shorts cut off. Yeah. I mean, and, and then you have Wanda, the, Who's I, I guess she is she the producer? producer? Yeah, she's she is the one who's keeping everything rolling, um, and on schedule as best she can, right? She's good at it. I like her. She like is. Wanda. She is. Uh, she's very good at it. I like her um, shirt. <laughs> she's wearing a shirt with like troll dolls on it. I love it. Yes, but in this this first one, they're just trying to film this really kind of intense scene and he wants, and he's insistent that, you know, you, we're going to start on her face and we're going to pull back and we're going to focus back and forth between the two. And it's really going well on the first take. And then, and then the, the boom mic, you know, yeah. pops into the frame. And so cut, we're going to try it again. And then a light explodes and on or another one time, take, yeah, one time and, they're out of focus they're out of focus, you know, you can't, the, it's like, you're going to lose your job, you know, if you can't do your, if you can't to the focus puller. Oh um, yeah. Wanda yeah. says, well, thank you for apologizing, but you'll never work in this, the, town, again. this town again. That's <laughs> what it, that's the line. That's the line. But when it comes down to it, it's just about how the smallest thing will affect everything, you know, and then they, they reset and Cora starts blowing her lines. Yeah. The, the line that you've heard like three times already suddenly on the, one of the takes, like she can't remember the line. It's like, the, yeah. that's not the only line you had to say. One of the yeah. only lines. What I love about this scene, the whole thing, when every, every time they have to reset up and do the scene again, I'm so impressed with Catherine Keener. The way that she can change her, she she's acting, she can change her acting within the acting, you know, for each yes. take. It's uh-huh. just, I think it's so brilliant to watch it like, different ways like she's getting more and more like frustrated you can see like she's Mm -hmm. saying the lines differently it's like it's really she's so good at this and then when she overhears people you know between between the shots you know Mm -hmm. there's someone saying oh i could have done this better than her and it kind of gets in her head how is she in that richard gear movies Eh, she's all right she's a yeah of course as the director nick is starting to kind of unravel because it just keeps going and going and going but then, you know, just there's that, okay, we're going to try this without the camera, just going to run run it for lines. But then Cora just touches touches <laughs> her on her face, sort of strokes her hair, that all of a sudden she remembers her mom and how her, her real mom, know, yeah. Her real mom and, and her mom passing away and... It and brings up just, that like it brings up that like actor thing where like she's found the emotion. She's found <laughs> everything scene. and they they run the scene and it is absolutely perfect and and you know and Nick sees that it's happening and he and he waves for the for the camera. It's like where the fuck is Wolf? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and he's he just puking in the bathroom. He's puking he drank, in the because he drank the bad milk. Nobody drank the milk. It appears to be bad. <laughs> I love that line from Wanda. Oh, <laughs> the way she says that is funny. Good lord, it's so funny. And and then this beeping starts. Well, I and like he, 
<laughs> I like that scene too um, when Nick is talking about like, okay, that was actually really perfect. We lost that. We lost that thing. It's that. It's the that the moment's ex- gone. The ecstasy That's... of making the movie of finding yeah. the perfect moment, getting it on film, and they didn't yeah. get it on film. They like that was like the perfect thing. So sad. Like, All right. <laughs> Everybody's watching it as they're, they're, people are crying, watching them yeah. act the scene because <laughs> they're doing it so perfect. <laughs> if we can find that clip, that would be worth dropping in. Probably. Where he just goes in there and says, all right, that moment's gone. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to get it. <laughs> it's kind of sad. You feel for it. him. You know, oh, <laughs> just, just the look on his face because it's like it's it's sort of this loving what he's seeing, but mm-hmm. completely heartbroken broken that it's not getting on film. And, and so they reset again. And of course that's when the beeping starts mm-hmm. and everyone's checking their watches to make sure it's not their watch and it's not coming from the street it's not the street yeah. noise the street noise yeah all those <laughs> everything there yeah we've even blew right past the street noise didn't we yeah. but he just starts tearing everything apart looking for for the beeping that then that rant that he goes on <laughs> i love it where is <laughs> can you wanda can you wear a shirt that distracts my actors more and maybe Maybe this is the scene that should be clipped. Cut! What the fuck is that sound? Not me. It's a camera. Fuck it is. It's off. It wasn't even running, dick glass. What is going on down there? Do I have a lockup? Nothing. You don't hear a beeping sound? The street's quiet. What the fuck is it? It's somebody's watch. Not mine. It's not mine. Not mine. Okay, where is it? Sucking motherfucking bastard, where are you? Take a walk, Les. Go get coffee and don't come back, all right? Ah! Ah! God, sit no food on Where? Somebody help me, please! Huh? Do I have to do everything myself here? Ah, Cora? Why don't you go learn your lines, Cora? Hey, script! How about paying attention a little bit there, okay? Hey, hey, focus puller. I got some good tie stick. You wanna go fucking smoke one or you wanna pay attention here? What are you laughing at, Wolf? You fucking pretentious beret wearing motherfucker. Hey, I saw your real man. It sucked. Fuck would hire you anyway. Hey, Bob! Hey, Bob! Can you make a little noise on the fucking dolly? Huh? You creaky motherfucker! Wanda, next time can you wear a shirt that's a little bit more distracting to my actors? What is your name anyway? What do you fucking do around here? Hey, Speedo, you can't find a little fucking beat? Huh? You see what I fucking have to deal with here, Nicole? Maybe do some of that magic on camera? No, no, wait till fucking Wolf is puking his guts out. Oh, now I'll be good. And, but uh, <laughs> what does he say to Wolf? Like you says bra- you pretentious <laughs> prick or something like, like you pretentious bray wearing motherfucker or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, it's like oh, now you decide to be good when Wolf is in the bathroom puking his guts out to Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just so funny. But then, you know, he cannot find this beeping. Yep. But then he wakes up and you realize 
it's his alarm clock going off and this whole first sequence has been a dream now i don't Uh, think that this it's all been a dream thing as much as it doesn't feel as much like a cheat or no it doesn't it doesn't feel cheap or like we got bamboozled somehow as it does in some other movies sometimes it's still it's still got something to say and it's still really interesting well i think the fact that it is a dream is kind of important yes Uh, and the way they tie it into how each section works makes it kind of really really smart by the end yes it's very smart that's what i'm just saying like that usually like it'd be like oh this whole thing it was like such a good scene so funny so much into it oh it was all a dream that sometimes can feel like oh that's not that's not cool but in this it really works they make it work really well by the end yes yeah definitely and so then we cut to another place (laughs) and uh we see that Wendy and Wolf are apparently in a relationship together. Yeah. Um, they have a, a little, I don't know, argument-ish in the morning. But his eye ends up getting scratched. No, she doesn't go anywhere near his eye. If you watch that yeah. scene, she yeah. hits like she kind of like light, playfully like hits him with her shirt or something yeah. like on the other side of his face, and then he goes, "Oh, my eye!" Yeah. <laughs> you watch it. <laughs> Nothing went near his eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she's also, she starts in their conversation introducing the character of Chad Palomino. Yeah. Who is Talking so about going funny. to the jazz club. Going, yeah, going <laughs> to the jazz club. And he's sort of this, he's a big name actor in this. Yeah, played by uh, James LaGrosse or LaGrosse. I'm not sure. Uh, he's one of those people that I recognize when I see him, mm-hmm. but I haven't usually, you know, connected his name before but when i when i see him on screen especially in this sort of mid 90s era it's like ah that guy that guy uh, he's one of that yeah. guys yeah. he he actually looks he looks a little bit like Brad Pitt uh, in this movie. Um, I know that Brad Pitt was in. Say, did they want yeah. Brad Pitt for this role? Brad Pitt would have been terrific. I I can I could definitely see Brad Pitt playing this role. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, he's got the comedy for it for sure. He really does. He's much funnier than I think people give oh, him yeah. credit for sometimes. He absolutely is. But Lagrasse is really really funny. Uh, he's so good in this. And there was a rumor. Because um, Brad Pitt had been in uh, DeSillo's first movie, Johnny Swade, mm-hmm. that he was actually doing a send up of Brad Pitt. And he said, no, <laughs> he's made it pretty clear. No, it is not supposed to be Brad Pitt. Brad's a great guy. We, there's, <laughs> no, there's nothing between us. He's not a douchebag. He's not like this guy at all. Um, but the thing is, Brad Pitt could have played this guy very well. He and you would find it really, really funny. I think he he would have been terrific in the role. But I'm glad that. You know, hey, things worked out the way they did because uh, Lagrasse is terrific in it too. And he did say, "I, I was watching." You got that from the special features, right? I was watching yeah. them too. Like he did say, he took some stuff for that character from other actors, though, because there's yeah. one part where, um, in between takes, he like he looks directly into the camera and like fixes his hair. He said he took that from like Patrick Swayze, I think. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> like, Patrick Swayze that. would do that, and I was like, oh, yeah. I kind of love that though. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But then um, we cut to the. So then we actually meet Chad Palomino, who has apparently spent the night with Nicole. <gasps> Scandal. <sighs> Scandal. Important to note in this scene that she's the one that says, like, this isn't a big deal. This was just like a one time right. thing. Don't tell anybody about this. Yeah. And kind of blows him off, basically, and says, you go ahead. I'm going to take a cab later to the studio. Yeah. Mostly because they don't want people to know well, that they were Nick together. Is- 
Yeah. Nick is carpooling with them. Yeah. Nick and Chad end up dry riding together and Nick sort of immediately can't stand him. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell. Neither can, neither can you. <laughs> yeah. In, it's, when you're watching it's it, yeah. Pretty horribly pretentious kind of guy. <laughs> he is. Um, just in, really the best, in the best way, himself. though. He's so good at it. He's so funny, though. Uh-huh. It's really funny. Because I think we all have seen, we know those people. You know, mm-hmm. even if they're not actual movie stars, we've all met those kinds of people that are just have that deep narcissistic streak. Yeah. It's very funny. But then they have the crew members. I like when he's describing like uh, when Nick is asking him like what, what movies he's got lined up after this. <laughs> and Chaz says something like, oh. Well, I play like a rapist who falls in love with like I forgot who it was, some it's actress, so and then and then another one I play a serial killer Michelle who Pfeiffer. shacks up with Renner and a writer. Like, yeah, oh that's God. right. And he calls it what Hollywood Twinkie or something call, like yeah. that. Yeah, he uh, calls like he he wants to make Nick's movie because that's that's the kind of movies he really wants to make. He doesn't want to make like that hostess Twinkie Hollywood fluff. Yeah, that he calls it, which is an important phrase. Yes. <laughs> Probably my, my oh. favorite line from the movie. <laughs> oh, it's very funny. And when they show the crew members talking about, oh, I'm, I'm going to make my own movie because the the lighting assistant is yeah. talking to the to the focus puller. So you have Bob and Maurice, I think are their names. <laughs> and Bob says, I'm going to slip my script to Chad during lunch. You know? And you just get the feeling that this is the kind of thing that happens on sets all oh, the sure. time. Uh, and it's got to be frustrating for yeah. people who are kind of like, well, I've worked my way up. You got to go through the proper channels here. I can't just have everyone, you know, slipping me their script, you know. But <laughs> it's it's just kind of funny. And then you have Wolf show up now wearing an eye patch, <laughs> which just makes him that much more pretentious, you know. But cool. But cool. Everyone yeah. looks cooler with an eye patch. Everyone looks cooler with an eye patch. It's true. Dermot Moroni, I think, is is the best in in this part of the movie. That's when, this is when he's my yes. favorite. When he, when he has to deal with Chad, he's hilarious. He's really funny because he he's kind of quiet about it. Yeah, he doesn't like the way he's dressed. You'd expect him to be a little bit more over the top with the character, mm-hmm. but he's not. He's like just really subtly just like that that cool guy but can still blow up yes when it's the right time (laughs) when it's the right time yeah yeah so they are shooting a it's supposed to be a love scene between nicole and chad and immediately the blocking gets set up and chad immediately starts offering suggestions on how the scene should be shot how uh it should be staged how it should be blocked that he should wear an eye patch like Wolf has. <laughs> I think Damien would have an eye patch. I, I just feel like it would work. <laughs> Poor Nick. He's got. He's trying to keep this big, important actor happy. He's like, you know what? I, I don't think that's really right for this scene. With, yeah, without because he has to. As the director, he has to maintain a level yep. of authority. You can't <laughs> let the actor take over and be wanting to change. The blocking well, and think, the lighting. And and I think it's pretty clear that Palomino is in a 
stage in his career where he's got a lot more power than Nick does at his stage in yeah, his career. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so <laughs> um, the the suggestions end up being really absurd. And then, of yeah. course, Nicole clearly can't stand him. I like one of my favorite little parts is um, when he's trying to change the blocking again. Wolf is complaining as like, you know, he's going to be out of the light or whatever. And Chad says something like, okay, is the blocking? Is that cool with you, Wolf? And he just goes, until you fucking change it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, then, that's what I mean. Like he's so, like, he's so like subtly hilarious, and, and, his and there's this great moment there where where he says, um, where Wolf says to Nick, "I can get his acting or his face," and he says, "Somehow I thought we could get both." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just very funny. And then the next take, you know, it's sort of the back of Nicole's head because of yeah. the way he's laying on the bed. Yeah, as you're watching this and you're realizing that Chad actually isn't that great of an actor. No, he's terrible. <laughs> he's yeah, terrible. He's really bad. Or that one that one take where he's like stroking her hair really awkwardly. It's and it really. Looks, it looks yeah. terrible. And she's like, Jesus, fuck. When <laughs> 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 Chad goes to talk to Nick about it, he's like, I was giving her everything in that scene. You see how I was stroking her hair? He's like, yeah, that was good. It obviously wasn't good. It looks no. terrible. Well, yeah, she's funny in this scene too. She really is, and they mentioned this in the behind the scenes too. On what I was mm-hmm. watching, how good her facial expressions are. Yes, she just can do like really subtle things with her face that are just. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. There's that one moment, like at the beginning, the first dream sequence when Wolf is setting up the camera and tells Nick to kind of look in at the at the shot on her. Yeah, and he, yeah, just, and he, you know, her he mentions face just comes right out of into the yeah, camera. Yeah, they could be talking about you know, Catherine Keener too because she absolutely does yes. you know, not just the character in the movie she's gorgeous mm-hmm. she's uh, I love her yeah and you can see that Nick well everybody really is they're not hacks they really know yeah what they want they have a strong vision they are capable people it's just that all of these external things keep going wrong the second section is really about actors more than anything, where the first section is very much about the technical in most for a lot of it. There's a lot of technical weird things that happen that sort of throw the actors off here. It's sort of the actors are kind of throwing everything off yes. <laughs> um, for various in various ways, because there's there's a line I wrote it down. I can't remember the context where someone says, does anybody know? Oh, they're they're talking about how much they like Chad and they're saying, do you know what his sign is? I don't know. His, <laughs> I don't know his sign, but I think his moon is in Uranus. <laughs> That's what Nicole says to her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. But then, you know, this this is where you have, is this my new mark? Until you fucking change it. Um, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And then Bob and Maurice are talking to Chad. Ah, Maurice, Maurice Chevalier. Any relation? Probably not. (laughs) Weird, weird, funny lines all the way through this. Um, And then there's kind of a sweet moment where Nick is practicing asking out Nicole in the bathroom mirror. Yeah. He's cause he's he's kind of a shy, awkward guy and it's like, is it really and he, I think he's thinking, is it really appropriate for me to ask out my lead actress? I mm-hmm. think that's in his head uh, sure. too, but he really likes her. He has no idea that uh, she spent the night with Chad. Um, not that she likes him at all. She doesn't. She doesn't. She hates the guy. Um, Chad. Yeah. Not, not Nick. And th- there's a great line here where where she comes in. She sort of catches him. He stops, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, she says, yeah, he's very natural. 
like air. <laughs> Talking about Chad. Yeah. That line is so funny uh, in so many ways. <laughs> I just took it to... as like that he's an airhead. Is that what, is that what she's yeah, trying exactly. to say? Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. Just completely vapid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then we go back to the set and, you know, all of a sudden Wolf can't find his eye patch. <laughs> Chad turns around and he's wearing it. It just feels right. Yeah. Oh man! And then, then and then Wolf says, "You can't have someone wearing my eye patch." It's, he says it's insanitary, <laughs> not That's unsanitary. Right. He says insanitary. That's right. Oh, it's so good, so good. But this this part where where they reset this. It's, this is the part where Nick takes Chad aside and they're talking um, behind the scenes and um, and Nicole wants to hear how she sounds. The sound man comments that you sounded, you were a little low. Can you speak up? And she goes, oh, okay, can you, can you let me hear it? So he plays it back. Well, then we find that we can overhear this conversation. She can overhear this conversation between Nick and Chad. Nick is just trying to stroke Chad's ego. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, he says that as an actress, she's not great or something like that. And it is just, oh, man. And you you know that he doesn't mean that. No. Yeah. Nick doesn't mean that at all. He's just got to. And you would hope that she would, too, because he's very, he's very sweet to her all the time. He is. She's that probably insecure actress that but believes it, it in the moment. But and it prob- pisses her a, off. Yeah, and she's upset just about Just the right amount. Yeah. yeah, it pisses her off just the right amount. And she says, you know what? I think we should try improvising this. Let's, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, that's the only way I work. Open it up, man. And <laughs> <laughs> and then she just lays into him for for the asshole that he is. Is it, is it Nick that calls him at the end of this? Says you hostess Twinkie twinky. motherfucker. Say that and again. You hostess Twinkie Twinkie motherfucker. motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and so they get in a fist fight <laughs> between the Nick between Nick and Chad. The thing about the scene though is, is that really the um, it's very funny, but and. Like you said, they are very, um, they're good at their jobs. They're very competent filmmakers, I think. The movie that they're making <laughs> sounds terrible. <laughs> the, dia- sounds... the dialogue in the scene that they're acting is so cheesy. Oh, yeah. When he's like, sounds like champagne. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> it's very what half-baked. <laughs> it, it comes across as it's, it's as being pretty half-baked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, he doesn't really know what he's what he's dealing with. So maybe he's um, just not good at the the writing part if he's if nick was the writer because he's the writer too that's right yeah i think he is Uh uh-oh sorry nick your lines are cheesy i think that's kind of the point of the scene though is that it's supposed to be a love scene and it's like the cheesiest thing she's wearing like a freaking ball gown yeah and he's in a tux tux and they're in like a hotel room or something and and you're kind of wondering i've admired you from afar yeah And (laughs) and you're wondering like how does this scene have anything to do with the scene that they the were previous. shooting in the first part of the movie? Exactly. Because we don't know if, I mean, spoiler alert, this is a dream sequence too. Oh no, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. Catherine Keener wakes up in bed just, it, so it would have been just after Chad left is what it looks like. Because um, she's kind of laying there in the bed in the same position she was when he left. And she's about to get in the shower. Oh, it's, it's like one he, of, it's yeah, one of those says, blink sorry. of an eye kinds of things. Sorry, dreams. Yeah. He says that he loves her. Yeah. I think in the scene too. Yeah. And, and she wakes uh, up when they kiss. Yep. That's right. Yep. And she wakes up and um 
hears the because she hears the shower going. So it's been like five minutes uh, in in dream world. Yeah, apparently is is the impression that you get, which is kind of a different way to do the dream, you know. And I thought that was that's really uh, pretty clever. Now mm-hmm. the. Th- third sequence they're actually filming a dream a sequence, dream sequence. <laughs> um, but this is supposedly at least real yeah um, this is this is something they're actually shooting because they both are talking about the crazy dreams they had last night uh, both um, Nicole and Nick yeah and it's interesting that their names are so similar I know Nick I and Nicole was, I thought that was weird too yeah but in this we are introduced to Peter Dinklage <laughs> As Tito. Toto? Toto. <laughs> yeah. Tito. Tito. <laughs> now, um, Peter Dinklage, this was long before Game of Thrones. This was long before the station agent. He wasn't getting, he was a stage actor, I believe, at this point, but he hadn't done a lot of movies yet. He is so good in oh my this God. little, in this brief role. Oh my God. He's perfect. That it is utterly hilarious and it's you can tell it's that uh DeSillo gave him lines that he has wanted to say his exactly. whole life exactly uh it's you can tell very that none of this is making fun of him at all it's no. making fun of people of probably shit that he's heard like his whole life yeah. <laughs> and heard from other like filmmakers on sets and i think he even admitted like yeah i've totally heard all this stuff before yeah now i really like the way that this act ties into the first act Mm -hmm. because he talks about how yeah i had because nick is talking about i had a dream last night and you were there we were trying to shoot the scene it wouldn't work and there was another woman there an older woman (laughs) and he doesn't recognize he doesn't recognize his own mother (laughs) that it was his own mother yes uh which is so funny in this and it just makes me think that the scene that he dreamed he was shooting in the first sequence was not a scene in the movie. Probably. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, this was like his subconscious working through some something <laughs> with between him and his mom. Maybe. You know, it's it's so there's something's not his, right there cuz I was as soon as yeah. he said that I was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> cuz I when I had seen the movie before, I was like, "Okay, wait yeah. a minute. He didn't recognize his own mother?" But I mean, that's the way dreams work sometimes though. Yeah, I mean, we talked that's about true. this and yeah. we talked about this in the Nightmare on Elm Street episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that dreams are just weird and the way you remember them when you wake up is strange too and i love this whole everything again everything is sort of set up beautifully for where it's going to go um you have the fog machine that's sort of like this it looks like a world war ii surplus (laughs) something that no one knows how to use it's like i I, yeah i I used one of these once before you know uh, it was a long time ago i don't really remember how there's no instructions there's nothing like that and um i love the looks that Tito is giving them. He just looks by, stares at him, just going, (laughs) (sighs) just the utter contempt he has for everybody and their um, complete incompetence is so funny. The dream sequence (laughs) that they're filming is does again it's another scene that like doesn't really make any sense it, it is a dream it's, sequence but you're it just always makes me wonder like what movie are they actually making here yeah it's such a it's such a bullshit kind of dream sequence it too. is she's wearing a wedding dress and she's hungry she for says some i'm so hungry 
and a dwarf in a bl- baby blue tuxedo and top hat walks in carrying an apple walking around her. <laughs> and she, she reaches out for it, but she can't. Him, she, but she, can't apple. <laughs> she can only see the apple. She can't see him. It's so. It's so it, bad. It's so bad. It's so funny, though. But it um, brings up a funny line from Peter Dinklage. <laughs> yes. Um, but right before they start filming, Wanda breaks up with Wolf, like mm-hmm. right before they're starting work. I know. Poor Wolf. <laughs> and he has just no time to process any of this before it's like, all right, let's get rolling. Then, okay, Tito. And, and then <laughs> this is where uh, Nicole calls him Toto. Toto. It's Tito. Um, and Tito is apparently his last name okay. is, is what it sounds like. Is it? Because I think he says something to that effect uh, at one point. It's sort of a quick blink and you miss it kind of I moment. I remember that. Okay. But they, they film it. It says, all right, Tito, I want you to, when you stop here, I want you to laugh. And <laughs> this is what I love. He comes in, walks around her, and he just stops. Like Nick's waiting for him to laugh. And he comes over and says, all right, cut. Um, what happened there, buddy? <laughs> first, first of all, but first he talks to he talks to Nicole first every time, though. Even though he doesn't really have anything to say to her, uh-huh. he always talks to her first, uh, or or just is like you're you're ravenous, you know, trying to get real hunger just keep out of her. Reaching for that apple, Re- keep reaching for that apple. He's like, you know, where's the laugh? And he goes, I did laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That is that is one of my favorite moments in the whole movie because he's just like I did laugh. You did? Maybe a little louder then. <laughs> and and then, you know, they shoot it again and the, it's like, "Hey, more fog this time." And and of course, you know, that ends up in disaster because it sort of floods the set uh, it eventually. It catches fire, and, doesn't it? Yeah, and it catches fire. Suddenly Nick's mom wanders onto the set <laughs> and it's and it's Cora from the first sequence. Wearing the same like robe wearing the same costume robe that and, she had on. Yes, yes. And apparently <laughs> she she talks about how she was able to walk through the doors of her like of a retirement her community, retirement center. You know, so people are looking for her. <laughs> it's very it's very weird. I mean, it, it's almost to the point where it makes you wonder if it really is a dream sequence. Another dream, too. yeah. And then then they go backstage and they show Tito practicing his laugh. Ha 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 ha. Oh man, it's very funny. But it, it all just kind of comes to the head. But then you have that wonderful scene where Nicole just walks outside. She just mm-hmm. walks off the set and Nick follows her. And she just admits that she feels fake. And so does Nick at this point. And so does Nick. Yeah, their insecurities are affecting each other. And it's so funny because during this whole sequence, because of his dream, because he re- freaks out in his dream, he's trying extra hard to stay calm yeah he is but then by the time we get to you know the fog machine exploding and everything he's totally uh gone off the handle again you know and he's yelling at at the crew again and he thinks that she had called his movie fake and i like right. yeah, yeah her her reveal is like no i'm fake like because she wants to i think like just quit acting after yeah. finishing the movie and she become doesn't a waitress, believe in apparently. her yeah doesn't believe in herself anymore yeah. which, is, which is very sad it, it really is it really is um but then there's this there's this kind of sweet little moment where mm-hmm. um with wolf where it shows that he's oh, he's got yeah. a tear tear coming down out of his left eye the one without yeah, the patch. left eye the one without <laughs> the patch the left eye 
and Cora comes over and just lifts up the the eye patch and another tear spills down yeah. his cheek. It <laughs> I is that was so sweet. <laughs> it is it's it's silent and it's just this kind of beautiful little moment because mm-hmm. and Wolf keeps on insisting on insisting that the scene should be handheld. Yes. And uh, I I forgot to mention that earlier. It's like, no, I want it on the dolly. We got it on the dolly. <laughs> I like there's a the fun little moment when um Nick and Nicole are going back in the building after their scene outside. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those random little moments where he like um he's walking through the door and he like knocks over like a beam or something that's leaning up against yeah. the wall. It looks like one of those things that that happened accidentally but they kept going with the take. Yeah. I really like I don't know. I always like little moments like that. Nice little happy accidents yeah. that give a sense of realism to the scene. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is interesting considering it's a movie of dreams. Mm-hmm. And then Peter Dinklage freaks out. <laughs> Have you ever had a dream with a dwarf in it? <laughs> I don't even have dreams with dreams dwarves with in them. Dwarves in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only time I see dwarves in dreams is in pretentious piece of shit movies like this or something to that oh, effect. It must be a fucking uh, dream. There's a fucking dwarf in it. <laughs> <laughs> I just like when he's like the scene. I I don't know why they picked this, but I I love it. This that's on the cover for the the Shout Factory Blu-ray. Yeah, is of Peter Dinklage and Steve Buscemi when he's like, uh, Tito, I just need you to laugh. He's like, Why? <laughs> I told you why. Tell me again. Yeah, <laughs> His delivery of those lines is perfect. I gotta say, you know, every performance in this movie from Buscemi and Keener. Uh, all the way down mm-hmm. the line to, you know, the craft services people. And even the voices saying, where do the camera trucks park? <laughs> you know, they're flawless. They're they so are. good. You know, this type of independent film that was happening in the mid-90s was really exciting. There was an energy in the in the actors at that were making these movies and a lot of them they were making them because they could have and some of them did you know make bigger films you know you have steve buscemi making con air and <laughs> things like that and oh there's a what, Quentin Tarantino Arm- joke armageddon yeah in the movie too <laughs> there is i, it's like, I, only, <laughs> I forgot about that <laughs> it's like i only signed up for this because i heard you were tight with quentin tarantino <laughs> yeah. yeah and that was that would have been you know after pulp fiction when he was you know, really exploded yeah. uh, to sort of become the ultimate sort of indie darling of the of the time. But this sort of mid-90s period, this is where the Coen brothers were doing some of their most interesting, I mean, it's hard, kind of all of the Coen brothers' career is interesting, but doing stuff that was really establishing them still, things like Fargo. So you have someone like Steve Buscemi doing Con Air and Armageddon, but always coming back to doing these indie films you know doing the pay cut you know so that the movie could get made and it was just i don't know there was an energy to that and there's um, like a again with the behind the scenes stuff i just kind of love the the little stories of yeah these these indie filmmakers and actors that all know each other and uh-huh. that's all like recommend each other for stuff like because the way they put the cast together was pretty much like oh we need a guy to play play this part and uh Catherine Keener is like you know what about James LaGrosse he's great he'd be great for Chad Palomino or, or I don't remember if that was exactly it yeah, but it's like something like that recommend yeah. this guy like we're all friends let's get together and make this thing you whoever you know get him in here and we'll get it done 
It's like a little indie. It's like a little indie family that they all. Yeah. Do. Yeah. It was sort of a period of of that um, collaborative indie filmmaking that you know I I feel like we need that again. It would be just put a shot in the arm of the film industry again, maybe um, because you know so much of what we're seeing with independent film is non theatrical now. You know, it's either on television or it's straight to streaming or it's straight to streaming, you you know, whereas theatrical releases are big budget spectacle movies, which I like a lot of those, but it was just cool. It was a really cool time to be growing up and getting into movies was around this time for me. Um, So after all this, where Tito storms off, you have Nick just say, well, Nick, that's it. It's time to face the music. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Shoot is over. Start packing it up. And Wolf, you know, being in the state of mind he's in, just says, all right. And he takes the yeah, he has camera cute... off the dolly and he's ready to pack up. Yeah, he has a too. cute little scene with Nick earlier, too. And he's just, when he is, uh, after Wanda's broken up with him, he's like, man, I'm just going through some, got some personal shit right now, man. <laughs> and he's yeah. he's so sad. He's I love Wolf. <laughs> yeah. But then, then his mom is like, oh, for goodness sake, give me that apple. <laughs> and he goes, I'm so hungry. Oh, give me the camera. Give me the camera. And it's like, it's like, I, it's not on the dolly. Should I hand hold it? Yes. <laughs> so he starts, he's, so give me the camera. So Wolf actually shoots it himself rather than giving it over mm-hmm. to, to uh, an operator. And there's, there's that energy, you know, to it. Mm-hmm to that creative collaboration that they've been searching for in the dream sequences of the previous scenes. And that has been eluding them. And it's just sort of like magic time, even though the scene still doesn't make any sense. Um, You know, and she comes in and, and grabs the apple and takes a bite out of it. It's like, did you get it? Did you get the close up of the apple? It's like, Oh, it was amazing. It's like, and it's the ecstasy moment. Yeah. And it really is. It's a great ecstasy moment. It is. She hits her mark perfectly. Yes. There's a, there's a perfect shot of her. They got a perfect shot of her hand with the apple in it. And uh-huh. yeah, her grabbing it. And it, you can you can just feel how excited they are that they finally uh-huh. got something that they've been trying to get the whole day. And yes. he's been stressed out because of the dreams. They've all been stressed out even. <laughs> like mm-hmm. having those dreams on their mind that like maybe we'll never get this. And they finally do at the end of the movie. And then, you know... Then the sound guy goes, wait a minute, I need to record room tone. This is one of my favorite parts, though. I love it. And before this movie, I didn't know what room tone was. (laughs) You didn't know what room tone was? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. I had never heard that before. Yeah, you have to record. Yeah, you have to record about, for in this case, they use 30 seconds Mm -hmm. of the sound that's in the room the sound of silence of the yeah. room essentially and i love this because they all have their their little flash moments mm-hmm. of um they have to st- it's kind of frustrating because they have to like fantasies. stop celebrating for a second and stand yeah, there all, quietly but and they're all just kind of anticipating this 30 seconds yeah and you, you know? wonder like what's gonna happen in this 30 seconds something is something gonna go wrong is it gonna ruin uh-huh. what they've just done uh-huh. but yeah they're all kind of imagining <laughs> I love and Nix is probably the best. Nix is so funny. Nix is my favorite too because Chad Palomino uh, introduced him. We have created a new category this year. <laughs> best film ever made by a human being. Yeah. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Then you flash to Cole turning in her, bringing her resume yeah. to uh, a diner <laughs> to apply to be a waitress. Can you cook a hamburger? 
I don't know, but I can try. And and then it goes to his mom and she walks through the wall. She walks through the door. (laughs) And then you, what, the sound guy, or is it Bob, the, the camera assistant? He just imagines himself eating a cheeseburger, (laughs) which is really funny. (laughs) Apparently delivered to him by Nicole, though they don't (laughs) actually show her. Then they're about to cut to Nick. They go back to Nick's fantasy. He's about to give his acceptance speech for this award. And it's kind of reminds me of of young Albert Brooks graduation speech at the beginning of broadcast news, (laughs) where he's like, well, I'd like to thank you all. But uh, I can't remember what, but he's, he's, he's gonna, but instead he's basically going to say, fuck you. And he actually (laughs) um, almost breaks the silence by going (laughs) and, and everyone kind of stares at him and he stops himself. It's very funny. What was Wolf's in this? Oh gosh. I can't remember what Wolf's was. Why why can't I remember? I remember it's it's something between him and Wanda. Right. And then Wanda imagines that she's with Chad, you know. No. Uh, Wanda. So anyway, I... Again, it's it's one of those movies where I don't know if there's I, so much of what to, to it, it, it kind of wears its heart on its sleeve. It, it doesn't really have does. it doesn't seem to me to have tons of hidden messages hiding below its surface. You know, it's pretty it's just, obvious. What it's, it's just kind of saying, you know, making a movie is a fragile process and it's mm-hmm. kind of a miracle that any movie ever gets made. Like you can imagine probably anybody that works in movies just reading the first dream sequence part Yeah, where something little goes wrong. Every I'm sure they've all been in that situation and they would get this movie right away. To me, this is kind of like Spinal Tap for filmmakers Yeah, um, because... <laughs> As a musician, I, I mean, I've I've never experienced everything that they've experienced in Spinal Tap and not to that extent, but I've at least experienced some of the things that they go through in Spinal Tap. I've played in bad, really bad venues. Get lost backstage? I, close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's all kinds of weird. I actually know, have a friend who once did a show that said his name and puppet show. Uh, just like, just like in the movie. If I told you once, I told you a thousand times. You know, put Spinal Tap first and puppet puppet show last. Um, <laughs> he he actually sent me a text when he saw that that uh, marquee. Um, so it was pretty funny. So I, this to me seems like if you're a filmmaker, you would get this on another level from the general public, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it if you're not a filmmaker. No, no. Yeah. Um, This is a movie that, you know, these kinds of people, even if you don't, even if it's in a different context Mm -hmm. from a film set, you've probably met people like Nick and Nicole and Chad. (laughs) Uh, or, that or, his name is Wolf. Chad is so perfect yeah. now. <laughs> I know, though I I I know too many people named Karen that are not. Karens. I know, <laughs> and so it makes them that that one kind of it kind of bugs me to be honest. But so I try not to judge people by their names. But uh, in this case, Chad is he's a Chad. He's a Chad. <laughs> Oh man, fun double feature today. Yeah, um, totally. Two two movies that are a lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to talk about. And I gotta admit, this has probably been more of a reminiscence of watching the 
pretty much the movies kind of <laughs> episode but you know maybe we didn't okay. go as in depth or analyzing as we do on the other episodes but hey but like i said i don't know if either of these movies really have they don't really call for that yeah uh, call for that yeah living in oblivion carries its heart on its sleeve and then mute witness just kind of lays it all out too and is just yeah kind of mostly just a fun romp probably the biggest thing from this episode is that if you've never heard of or seen either of these movies god please run out and go watch both of them right now yes they're both very well worth your time and uh, and neither of them are would be all that expensive to be able to see hopefully yeah hey we can hope for some sort of blu-ray release or something of i want mute Mute witness Witness deserves a blu-ray too come on somebody make it happen please yeah good movies yeah movies okay did we want to get into some recommendations for this episode sure can uh did you want to go or do you want me to go first I didn't really have anything. Mine are dumb as usual. Okay. As I've said before on other episodes, like one thing that I love to do is watch crappy reality dating shows. And there is a bunch that are really fun ways to waste your time if you need to. (laughs) Most of them are on Netflix. Definitely recommend Too Hot to Handle. That one's hilarious. Uh I think the one I talked about, it's not a dating show, but the one I had previously recommended was a circle still recommend that which i started which you watching started, yes <laughs> and my wife and i after about the first 20 minutes we were like i don't know about this but then pretty quickly we were sucked in and now we're the last night uh, my wife got home and as we were finishing dinner she just looked at me and said want to watch the circle <laughs> yes so it's a lot of fun See? it's a really I got fun another show. recruit yeah there's also uh Love is Blind, uh-huh. uh huh, which is interesting. I think my wife watches that one on her own after I go to bed early. I tried watching Love Island. One of the Love Islands did not do it for me. I did not like the people. The big thing with these shows is that they can be the mostly just really. It's a, I've said before, like if it's a bunch of hot people trying to fuck each other on an island, then I'm watching it. That's all it, I really care to see. But sometimes. They're actually like, most of the time, they're actually like good people. And it's it's fun to watch them. They're not like really vapid people. Yeah. You know, that makes it easier to watch. The, my favorite that I've been watching is Are You the One? And that's where it's a bunch of hot people trying to fuck each other on an island. Yes. But they have to try and find their, their perfect match. There's like 10 men and 10 women. Oh, that. Yeah. And okay. Like, I, I remember seeing that trailer i think yeah and there's a, there's a perfect match for each of them and they have to try and figure out who that is and a lot of the times they're terrible at the game for and, and of course there's a million dollars to win if they find if they all find their perfect matches by the end and they're terrible at the game for so long and it's so frustrating until they finally figure it out but again like they're actually like good people and it, they're interesting to watch and it, it's like i said they're good time wasters a little something to become obsessed with turn your brain off for the night if you need to hey sounds good <laughs> we're always looking for things to i don't know just sort of chill in front yeah. of sometimes at the end of yeah. the day and also, I haven't really been watching a whole lot of movies, so I didn't have a movie or anything to recommend because I've been yeah. watching these shows. There you go. God. There you go. 
I'm actually going to recommend a series that is on Netflix. It's called American Vandal. Mm -hmm. Now, I saw a preview for this. I almost don't want to say much more than watch the trailer for it and see if it hooks you because I feel like I'm giving it away if I even really say much of what it is. It's incredibly entertaining. It's very funny. But it's also kind of touching, surprisingly, and insightful. And uh, what it is, uh, the first season, this kid has been expelled from his high school. It's a, like, documentary mm-hmm. for painting, <laughs> for spray painting <laughs> dicks, yes, on all the teacher's cars in the parking lot. And he was immediately accused because he was a known dick drawer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so but these two kids that run these underclassmen that run the that help with like the av club they start making a documentary about it and kind of sleuthing to find out because they are not convinced that he was the one who drew the dicks um (laughs) so the first season is all about that And then the second season uh, takes place in Bellevue, Washington. So that's kind of cool. But it's at this kind of preparatory school. And there's a vandal called the Turd Burglar who has been doing a number of (laughs) (laughs) poop-related pranks. And I know it sounds silly. It really does. Yes. But that's just the setup. It's like a true crime documentary. And it goes further into this and sort of the onion unfolds and you go deeper you really get invested in the characters you get invested in these kids these people the teachers and just what they're dealing with um they go kind of dive deep into like social media appearances uh, against the reality and how things can in a moment ruin someone's reputation how do you really know people are we judging people before we actually know the reality of the situation or know the whole truth. It's actually incredibly insightful, but extremely entertaining at the same time. I have actually watched, I've watched uh, both seasons twice already in the past week or so. (laughs) That's Um, how these shows go. Yeah. The first time through, the first time through, I, I watched it more intently, and then then the second time, I just sort of turned it on to have kind of in the background while I'm doing. But I've actually still been picking up things on the second viewing that I didn't get the first time around. Um, so it's very good, very very good. I mean, it was so much better than I ever would have expected from the trailer or from the premise. I mean, you've got me interested in this too. I want to see this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I imagine some people are probably going to look at this and go, oh, come on, really? (laughs) But for me, it was, it's hysterical. It is really insightful. It's just got a lot going for it. Really loved it. Cool. Really loved it. Wow. We got a couple more movies coming at you next time. Yeah. What's our topic next time, Brian? Well, our topic is uh, on the road, sort of crime on the road. So we've got a couple of crime stories on the run. So your movie is a classic. A classic. Yes, it is. Classic Ridley Scott movie from Mm -hmm. 1991. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise. Yes. Uh, Terrific movie. Uh, I have seen it (laughs) a couple of times. I hope so. 
I'm looking forward to revisiting it. I'm very excited. A lot of hot people to talk about in that movie. So there I'm are a lot of hot it. people to talk about. <laughs> got Brad Pitt. We've got Gina Davis. Whew. And Susan Sarandon. Michael Madsen. Su- Susan Sarandon. Michael Madsen. Oh, yeah. Oh. I forgot about him. And other stuff, obviously, yeah, with the movie. But yeah, mostly just that everyone's really hot. Yeah. There's <laughs> guns and the Grand Canyon and all oh, sorts of things. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. Some other stuff happens. No, I do really love that movie, and I think it's a beautiful-looking movie, too. Uh-huh. That's that's one thing I always love about watching it is that, uh, God, just the way that he shoots in the desert and the car, it just, I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie that I love to watch. Certainly. Even though, yeah, dealing with a lot of, like, heavy stuff again, but still, yes. still fun. There's a lot of fun to There's that a lot movie of fun to it. Um, with a serious message uh-huh. going on in it as well. Okay, so my movie is uh, something that you haven't seen yet, no, right? Haven't. So this was Clint Eastwood's follow-up to Unforgiven, uh, sort of Clint Eastwood at the height of his powers as a director. Uh, this is from 1993, A Perfect World, uh, starring Kevin Costner and uh, Laura This is one Dern. that I heard about on Pure Cinema. Yeah. So we've got Kevin Costner, Clint Eastwood, Laura Dern, Bradley Whitford. It's just, it's it's a movie that I saw pretty soon after it came out. And I was immediately taken by it. It is incredibly powerful, but it's also, it's got some really fun stuff going on with it too. Really good sense of humor. And it's just a really excellent film. And I'm looking forward to, to seeing it again. You know, it's been a little while since I've watched it. I think it's really got a lot going for it. So uh, if you've never seen A Perfect World, uh, it's sort of one of Clint Eastwood's maybe lesser known movies uh, as director, sort of maybe known in sort of the second tier. But it's really a terrific and I think a special movie. Kevin Costner as a criminal on the run who kidnaps a little kid along the way and kind of develops a bond with that kid. It's a fascinating movie. I'm excited to see it. Recommendations from two people that I trust very much. So yes, I'm into it. Yeah, I hope you like it. Always nervous. It's always a little bit (laughs) nerve wracking to introduce a a movie to someone that that you really love. Because I mean, for me, this A Perfect World is a five star great film. It really is something special to me. Um, So when well, you watch just, it and give it three and a half like, stars, no, you know, it'll be fine. No. It'll be fine. Even just like with Mute Witness, I was like, there's not really a lot to this movie, but it is super yeah. fun. And I hope Brian has fun with it, too. Oh, yeah. I had a great <laughs> time. Did, so, yeah, I was kind of nervous about that one, that it wasn't going to be like good enough for the show or something. It was it's it is it definitely. Definitely. So wrapping, wrapping up, up here. here. Jinx. <laughs> Jinx. Oh, my God. We're starting in the same person, Brian. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Okay, so you can uh, find me on Twitter at Brian D. Kuyper. And you can find me at Michelle in Agen. And you can find the show at Movie Life Pod. And we would love... No. You kind of paused. I did pause, didn't I? If you could give us a rate and review, we would surely appreciate it. Uh, If you're on the fence about that... um, we might have a little giveaway as an incentive to help out with some of that. I have a we lot of digital We were going to do one a while codes. ago. Yeah. We, we were. We need to we do were. that. We've got a lot of digital codes that uh, we'd love to send your way, uh, including Promising Young Woman. I've got the 4K of Jaws. I've got Almost Famous. I've got Jaws 2, 3, and 4. I've got The Croods. I've got a whole there bunch of movies. 
I do too. Yeah. So we can. Maybe we should do we, that. Yeah. We'll bribe people with digital codes so they'll give us a rate and review because we haven't gotten either one of those in a long time. So please, yeah, yeah. really help us out. We got we got a rating a couple weeks ago, but uh, we could we could use some more reviews and some yeah. more ratings as as much as you can. Help spread the word if you like the show and you think uh, and you're enjoying what we're doing. Help us spread the word if you would. Totally. We'd appreciate it very much. But thank you all for listening anyway. And I think we're I think we're done here. For this episode. This was fun. So what are we going to do, Michelle? Uh, we will see you all next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.